You're listening to Dead Air Podcast, part of SplatterPictures.net. What's up, everybody? Wes, Dead Air Nipe here with always. Typical Lydia. Today's show, we're going to be doing the 2007 classic 30 Days of Night. I can't do the howl that the vampires do. No, no, you call that a howl. No, I no, know. I can't do the Well, it's a, what is it, a guttural screech? Yeah. Perhaps. A lot like Ragers from uh, 28 Days Later, like other films with numbers in them. Mm, or it sounds like um, metal, big, huge pieces of industrial metal rubbing against each other, perhaps like shifting in the cold. They do use a lot of industrial sounds in the soundtrack. I was surprised it wasn't an Atticus Ross joint, <laughs> right? Or a Reznor thing at that point. But uh, yeah, 30 Days of Night. Very enjoyable. Going on with our theme of Alaskan cold, shitty tundra bullshit that I <laughs> fucking cannot handle. This is true horror, people. The freezing fucking cold. We took a break with Silent Night, Deadly Night. They had to truck in snow for me for that. Yeah. But that was our Christmas episode, kids. So yeah. we took a break from the shitty cold tundra, and now we're right back into it. The shitty cold tundra, 30 days a night, Barrow, Alaska, a place that actually exists. The 30 days of night thing actually fucking happens. So this is not fiction. This is real life horror. Including the vampires. Including the vampires, because they spent centuries trying to convince us that they were a nightmare. Mm. There's nothing I like more than ancient vampires pontificating about the plague of man. I love that type of shit. Um, and uh, good for Marlo. He really... Uh, but the one thing that's weird about it is, uh, like, who are you trying to convince? Like, the other vampires that are already in your coven? Because I'm pretty sure they're all kind of, like, on your sauce. And there hasn't been a line like, come on, Marlo. We've heard this a million fucking times. Can it, asshole? And why do we all got to talk so slow? <laughs> I have my complaints. But anyway, complaints aside, um, this is our heading into January, into the deep freeze, into the actual cold, because we've had nothing but, like, the tease of cold mm. here lately. Um if you, we had our Silent Night, Deadly Night show for Christmas, if you want a real Christmas episode or year-end wrap-ups, you got the year-end wrap-up with the longest title known to man, um, <laughs> Chris's episode on Bind Torture Cast. Chris and Luke sit down and go through a little bit of the not-so-hits and all the big hits in horror, which is always my favorite because it reminds me of films that I completely forget, like Who's Watching Oliver? Totally forgot about it. They talk about a couple of films that we've covered on the show, many sh- Movies, of course, they've covered on their show, and just things that they watched this year that really were a hit. And if horror movies aren't your thing, I don't know what you're doing here, but (laughs) there's The Wicked Library for some really nice, cozy Christmas um, fiction, horror fiction, to end up the year if you haven't hit all that shit already. Absolutely. Just as a reminder, and just as a little bit of humble brag, uh, Teresa hit 100 subs on Webtoons. Uh, Chris and I are really, really elated. We also broke over 4,000 views uh, for the comic, and uh, the updates keep coming. 
the pages that Chris is uh, working on these days are really, really cool. And um, so, yeah, again, to everyone that subs and reads Teresa, thank you very much. Uh, it means the world to us. So Yeah, you can head over to splatterpictures.net to uh, get the details and head on over to Webtoons. Yeah, head on mm-hmm. over to Webtoons and uh, and check it out. And sub if you haven't because you don't want to miss any updates. Uh, those updates come on Monday. Should probably make that more apparent somehow. I was like, there the updates on Monday, every week. Monday, Monday, Monday. That's right. Teresa Mondays. It makes no sense phonetically. <laughs> I just say Monday's Teresa Day. Don't worry about it. Yeah. yeah. Not everything has to be clever. All right, guys. Sometimes you just need to get information out. Not everything has to be clever. Very, very true. So I can't remember which one of us wanted to do this. Um, I wanted to do a vampire film. I wanted to do a cold film. Exactly. Guess where we landed. We landed right here. Now, there's, of course, another uh, big vampire in snow movie, Let the Right One In. And I'm sure we'll get to that. I rewatched that recently and absolutely love that film. But for this, I really wanted to also keep in, like, this is splatterpictures.net. This is dead air podcast. It's like, we need to get something gushy in here. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It can't all just be class, even though there's some pretty gushy bits in Let the Right One In, too. But um, not like this. This is comic book levels of gush makes sense because IDW released the 30 Days of Night comic book. And this is one of those unsung comic book movies. And there's a couple of comic book movies uh, and comic book TV shows um, based off of vampires that were really big, 30 Days of Night, also The Strain, uh, that was on television. And uh, another, not really a horror movie, really more of a thriller uh, based off of a comic book movie also in winter was Whiteout. And that was all coming out in and around the same time. Well, people were really into to, uh, snow and crime and dastardly deeds for a little while. Unfortunately, we don't get too many films with this aesthetic because of the logical reason that films like this are difficult to film. Uh, it's difficult to film movies in harsh winter conditions. It's difficult to replicate harsh winter conditions or any winter conditions see silent night deadly night if it's not really the area that has a lot of uh extreme cold in it you could do it on sound stages and shit like that but that's money right there like a lot of the thing was on a sound stage and it's not apparent because they did it right exactly yeah um but you know you don't always have that budget you don't always have those opportunities so uh we get an opportunity to have a horror movie with snow which we both really like blood and snow blood and snow and there's something like Blood in the Snow Film Festival is named such for a reason, because it is such a striking idea, and it's that striking idea of you know it's hot blood hitting cold snow, and you can just envision what it's doing, and you the, the color contrast is, is fantastic. Blood in the Snow at night, Blood in the Snow in the morning, any time of day, it looks great. There's, um, uh, I'd recently watched a movie. It's not a horror film. It's a, it's a, a, a revenge film, Lady Snowblood. Um, uh, a Michael uh, Kaiji film that I watched with my mother on Christmas Eve. Oh, lovely. Wasn't it though? But I, um, that has this beautiful, uh, snow sequence at the very beginning of the film where this geisha woman is basically cutting down all these, uh, gangsters and shit, and it's just like erupting in this beautiful 70s blood all over the snow. And then later on in that film, uh, there's a, there's a man in a stark white suit and he gets butchered. Oh, nice. And, and it's just this 
such a immaculate con- uh, contrast and it's just so striking to look at so i'm glad that we're still in this is that idea of abigail folger have been covered in blood in her white nightgown in the front yard of Celio drive or was it as pretty as in kill bill the already she yes and right? yeah and absolutely and i don't know if you're aware of this but lady snowblood of course was the film that quentin tarantino basically copied you want to say ripped off i want to say ripped off he copied it up to and including the the score a lot of major plot points and stuff like that but to be fair lady snowblood was a manga before it was a movie Ah. back in the 70s so you know we're always you know chasing something else but yeah but it it, that uh oren ishii portion in kill bill which of course is a beautiful sequence you know quentin tarantino however i feel about the guy is a talented filmmaker oh very much so so you know that all being said that's a beautiful sequence that also being said it's directly related to lady snowblood like she's almost dressed exactly like oren ishii in that sequence so it's cool it's a really really cool film but back to this fucking movie because we wanted to do vampire films because i'm a big old fucking slut for vampires i love you are you are i don't know if you've watched innocent blood yet or decided yay or nay on that oh i have watched innocent blood it's a very different kind of movie than i thought it was Uh uh-huh um not as good as i remember okay but also it being described so often as a comedy i still don't i guess it's got don rickles in it but like i but like he's not even really being funny yeah like so i so i just because when i was watching the movie i was like why do people think this is a comedy like it's super violent it's there's goofy parts on it but it's not funny. And then I see Don Rickles and I'm like, oh, well, maybe that has a lot to do with it. Like he's a, he's an old comedian from yesteryear. Like maybe that has something to do with it. I'm like, he's not really cracking jokes and he explodes in sunlight and it's very graphic. And I was like, well, this isn't funny. Maybe- also, Shakes the Clown isn't funny either. Like it's funny. It has funny moments and it's absurd and it's full of comedians. So you could peg it as a comedy, but it's not. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I, I'm, I would never say no to Innocent Blood, but I definitely, because like now I'm thinking like, yeah, maybe we could definitely. Maybe, could. maybe it's Because there, there's things to talk about with that yeah. film for sure. And also one of my primal horror memories, like this horror movie, that horror movie, um, I watched when I was quite young. But my fascination with vampires, and I'm sitting here sitting across from what I consider a bona fide vampire expert. I was going to pull out my vampire taxonomy books. I do have a a nice clutch of vampire nonfiction because such a thing exists, kids. There's huge, there's reams and reams of vampire nonfiction out there on this planet. Uh, I was going to pull out the vampire taxonomy because we started talking about what sort of vampires, where these fit in the taxonomy. Um, But I didn't want to, I didn't want to geek it up too bad. Oh yeah. Keep it in the fiction realm. Um, speaking of which, the vampire, the vampire novel I've written, Nightface, has a sequel, and it's mostly done. Mm. It's mostly done. I don't want to brag. I got myself an early read copy. Yes, yes, you did. Yeah, there's gonna be yeah. one printed out sitting around here soon enough, and I'm terrified. <laughs> yeah, but um, I don't. I wouldn't consider myself too much of a vampire expert necessarily. But at the same time, you you are a woman who has created with the night face, let's call it what it is, franchise. It's going to be. Franchise. You have created with the night face franchise a lot of, not I wouldn't say like your own lore, but things unique to that storytelling. There and- are. And it's a similar in a way. And, and unfortunately, I have this problem where I envision these particular vampires with their particular traits 
And then I watched 30 Days a Night, and I like, fuck this shit. Why am I even trying? They've done it. They've done it 10 times better. Why am I even trying? What's it? They have a language, fuck sakes. They, they do have a language. Um, but at the same time, the thing that I love about vampires is there's always this hint of the familiar. And people who love hyper-violent vampires... Um, that I like a lot. Like, I, like, you know, there's room in my heart for like the frilled, cuffed, aristocrat, uh, noble vampire, uh, type Very thing. human yet tragic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's a part of that because I mean, like, for God's sakes, like, uh, uh, Werner Herzog's Nosferatu 1979 is one of my favorite portrayals of a vampire ever. And it's very romantic and, uh, uh, I would almost say melodramatic in, in some instances. Yes. But, um, but, you know, there's, there's definitely when I see vampires that are, uh, you know, like Gunner in, in Nightface and stuff like that, it's like, whew, this is, this is a comfortable space for me because I like this, uh, this sense of, um, being so human, but also being so, uh, I wouldn't say like slave to instinct, but so losing the, uh, the artifice that us as humans have created to separate ourselves from animals and consider, separate ourselves from our base instincts. We have created a society around ourselves, uh, because us being animals no longer suits our, uh, identity as a race, whereas vampires still have that artifice and that aesthetic. But in these moments, especially like I love, the more your vampire looks like a bat, the more I'm like totally fucking into it. Um, and so in these moments where these vampires are at the, the, the peak of their bloodlust, I'm just like, oh my God, like I so see dark instincts in myself on screen or in a comic or in a book or something like whatever. Um, so, and that's what I like about the, the vampires of night face. And that's what I like about the vampires in 30 days of night. And, and, uh, what I like about the vampires in, um, daybreakers where yeah. it shows like, daybreakers was one that was uh, suggested to me after readers of night face, uh, had realized a few of them had realized that I hadn't seen that yeah. and that the vampires are quite similar. And I think that the number one separating thing is that they know exactly what they are and they use it to their advantage to mm. not, try and control take over feed on society but live amongst it in the most comfortable way possible for them yeah yeah exactly and that was um watching like a film like daybreakers where you're looking at vampires de-evolve because of overconsumption like it's a very human problem so what happens to vampires that don't get to feed what happened to vampires that in their desperation will feed on other vampires like what happens and then you see these things like there's a moment in so i started to talk about daybreakers for a second but there's a moment in daybreakers where like ethan hawk's character and and his friend or brother or whomever is in the apartment and one of those like ghoulish revenants or whatever you want to call them shows up and attacks them and they both are genuinely like afraid of it yeah and they're just like freaking out and trying to deal with it and then for a moment there's like i forgot that these are it's this is literally a room with three vampires <laughs> <laughs> yet they're looking at this other vampire as something monstrous and uh and um frightening exactly and i think that's what was the enjoyable portion for daybreakers fans reading night face they were like oh this is from the point of view of the warped vampire mm. the actual vampires are sort of just like set dressing mm. where the story is told from the point of view of the evolved mm. or de-evolved i'm not mm -hmm. really sure either 
Yeah, and there's actually a, a, something I want to ask you when we get to that plot point in 30 Days of Night because there's something's not, I wouldn't say similar, but there's something that reminiscent in the first Night Face book versus the climax of this film. Yeah. And I'm very interested to like know your, your uh, take on that. Okay. But. But yes, no, it was n- almost 100% my pick. Not only because of the reasons we've already stated, but my darling husband is a very big fan of this. And I had no idea. Oh, you didn't? Oh, see, yeah, that's us being all to ourselves, right? <laughs> but he is a, a large fan. He read along with the script while we watched it. He had a front row seat to the yeah. dead air movie watching experience and watched it along with us, which was really precious. Also, because we watched his HD copy of it. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm, glad you, that he, I'm glad that he had that. <laughs> Thank yeah. you very much. Um, but he does have quite a bit of 30 Days of Night memorabilia, which is in short supply. This movie didn't do that well. It doesn't no. have a lot of memorabilia. It doesn't have a lot of swag. And that's a shame, really, because it, uh, uh, as horror fans, I think there's nothing worse to us. Uh, perhaps, like, I know that you and I both have our back pocket horror movies where people are, are like, well, I've never seen this one. And you're like, oh, take a look at this. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it makes us happy to share things that we care about. But it also makes me, like, kind of lament it because, like, sometimes I would watch a movie at 30 Days a Night and I'm like, I hope no one looks at this who worked on this film and thinks they did a bad job or i hope no one like you know like you know i hope josh hartnett is just not like oh yeah that turkey that i made 30 days a night we don't talk about that one because it didn't do the traditional box office that people are like where and it's a shame because i was like you know i'm looking at this and you know they got the budget they got the actors they got the cool idea they got vampires and it might have just been ill-timed more than anything um and, and that's a shame because, you know, we, uh, Chris and I and you were talking about vampire fatigue that was going on in 2007. Twilight had enveloped the world like the blob for a short period of time. It sure is how hot. And, and, and so a lot of people were, um, scoffing at Twilight. And, and I don't even remember like people using the, uh, and I know you were talking a little bit, uh, to, uh, this week on social media about like what counts as horror? Like what is horror? Is this, is the definition become too broad and i've definitely read horror books that include twilight within them because vampires therefore horror mm-hmm. um even though like that is there there's nothing that is trying to elicit fear in in anything and to me if it's a horror movie the number one job it has success or fail is it's attempting to elicit a fear response in some way shape or form if it doesn't do that it's not horror yeah it can have horror elements. It can be horror adjacent. It can be violent. Yeah. But if it's not trying to make you afraid, if there's no like walked, like tension building scenes, if there's no, again, if there's no attempt to elicit fear, and we're adults, like we can recognize when a film is trying to elicit fear in someone, even if I don't feel it personally. Um, so that being said, you know, D- does does vampires equal horror? No, not always. No, uh, not always. That's right. Especially when you're looking at it from a Japanese manga point of view, because there's a lot of harem <clears throat> vampire stories that are not horror whatsoever. Yeah, I but was like, vampires equal horror. Okay, then Dance in the Vampire Bund or Blood uh, Brothers and all R- that. Rosario is, plus uh, a vampire, like that's not a fucking just horror. Just childish. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so uh, that being said. Um, you know, the doing deciding to do Thirty Days a Night was was uh, you know almost like us saying like, hey, at this period of time when there was a lot of vampire fatigue, still good vampire things were getting made. And I mean, like, 
let's not forget that Let the Right One In was in and around this time. And uh, A Girl Walks Home at Night was not too far off from this. You know what I'm saying? So, like, there's still wonderful things being made. And it's a shame that people couldn't stop looking at Twilight, even if they hated it and they didn't actually watch it. There was just this fingers and ears, la, la, la. Which is crazy to me because I never experienced vampire fatigue. I think it's impossible for me. I think for the three of us to really experience full-on vampire fatigue, but zombie fatigue, we know all about. And Mm -hmm. like many other people who could probably relate more readily to that, I got mad zombie fatigue before The Walking Dead came out because there was a lot of zombie films. It's a very inexpensive way to do horror. You just slap a bunch of bad makeup on your friends and have them stumble around and it's good and it's never very unique exactly and and one thing i'll say about twilight in its defense um because like you know to be honest i'm not a hundred percent familiar with it like i've seen the first movie and i've seen a riff tracks of one of the other ones i can't remember which i've never read the book so if you're a twilight fan and you're listening to the show sorry um for a couple of reasons but um, but but the difference between i think zombies and vampires is in my opinion, there's just a lot more variety. The kinds of stories you can tell with vampires are very different. Twilight is a perfect example of of somebody who, you know, if, if, if you're talking about a book series that was written by a Mormon to be about abstinence and put her own lore of vampires in there where they're not really even vampires, they're like weird sort of like homunculus like type vampire things. Yeah. Um, you know that at the very least you can't argue that this is a unique way to do uh, a vampire film yes there's unique ways to do zombie films but it's really only you can change perspective or you can make zombies attacking a mall or you can make zombies attacking a military base or you can make zombies attacking it could be post-apocalyptic it could be in the 1950s it could be fido it could be warm bodies you know you can you can switch things around but at the end of the day a zombie is a zombie is a zombie. There is no personality. And that to, that to a lot of people is where the horror comes from. You can project anything you want onto zombies. Whereas vampires are fully conscious, realized, individual characters. So if you can write a unique character that just so happens to be a vampire, you can have a unique story. Mm-hmm. Where zombies really only elicit one reaction in humans, which is, can be found very horrific, is that we are stripped of our humanity because we're slaughtering things that used to be humans mm-hmm. right and that's really about the only reaction the only smart reaction that we have to zombies except for in fido maybe that's a really good example of a very unique horror not horror zombie film that i like a lot mm-hmm. um where people do behave a little bit differently towards the zombies for the most part mm-hmm. most people anyway um but vampires elicit so many different reactions and so many people and depending on the vampire and the situation that the creators have put the people and the vampires in together, if there's people at all, or werewolves and vampires, mm-hmm. depending on how you want to go with Underworld or Twilight. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it is so varied and so rich. This gives us the extra benefit of taking vampires, very unique vampires that, and raging, animalistic, violent vampires mm-hmm. that are old world and, and the same as well. Old world, probably aristocratic vampires at one point. Mm-hmm super animalistic and then throw them into alaska yeah which we haven't really seen before no um and and again doing unique things with vampires like this is is what i wanted to really what i wanted to talk about because we had talked about doing some certain vampire films and we had talked about wanting to do some 
modern vampires, even though like if you could think about like when vampires changed from being the gothic aristocratic vampires, and that was that was um, still true of vampires through the fifties. Uh, like, well, you know, in literature, way before that, both the things like Carmilla and uh, Dracula and shit like that. But then, of course, progressing in film from the 20s and 30s, 40s, all the way up to the 70s, really, um, you started to see transitions with things like Salem's Lot. And you started to see transitions with things like, so how do you make vampires relevant? Because we don't really have aristocrats. Well, we do, but like, they're, it's not what it used to be. You know, in the 1930s, you could be like, oh, a count, how mysterious, and a castle <laughs> in a faraway place. I'm like, yeah. how interesting. And But, you know... Once uh, Hammer's big idea was like, let's just put a lot of tits and blood in it, and we still tell the same gothic stories, so that works. And for a time, uh, it did. And then once you put all the sex and blood that you can think of to um, put into a vampire film, and it's not working anymore, you start thinking, well, how do we do this? So let's bring vampires to... The new world. Nightclubs. Nightclubs. And so vampires went from being aristocrats to punks and goths and fringe culture, uh, people. If you, ha- if you were part of any sort of like subculture, uh, it, like you could be a vampire. And so vampires, you know, with things like Lost Boys become leather jackets and mohawks and, and motorcycles and saxophones. Yeah. And with near dark and stuff like that, like you can like give it kind of like a Western vibe and you could do something that is like somehow alien and different. And then, you know, with things like Innocent Blood in the 90s, you can make them uh, mobsters. You can make them gangsters. And, and like, so like, oh, okay, we can understand organized crime in the new world. And that's a way to do vampires in the modern aesthetic. And then, of course, as the new millennium and the matrix happens, and yes, it's PVC jackets and it's leather pants and it's nightclub vampires. Yeah. And you had films like Underworld and Blade that really popularized this aesthetic of vampires. And then you have these, which are fascinating. Like you said, aristocratic. They they're clearly ancient. In particular, Marlowe is clearly an ancient vampire. Yeah. Um, we don't know, but he refers to things in centuries. So you could guess that he has been around for centuries. Centuries, and we're guessing that his language, which is very old, because it sounds like Slavic and it sounds uh, island-like, almost uh, Aboriginal or something. Mm-hmm. Um, there's flavors of like Inuktitut in there as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's an old old language that is dying or has died. Yeah, and his coven consists of like vampires that look like they're from in and around Asia. Some of them look like, you know, it might be like Eastern Europe. Like it kind of, it's hard to really place where everyone is because a lot of them, their faces are so warped that it's kind of hard to tell where they are. But Marla himself looks like like old world European almost. You yes, know? yes. Um, but, um, but still, they're so um, nomadic. So it seems like any semblance of stability uh, aristocracy or race or culture exactly has been sort of bled out of it it's just it's all kind of leveled out and they live on like what i guess would just be like this giant steamship that i would wager has all the windows blackened out and stuff like that but what's this fucking movie even about anyways lydia it is about just pack mentality and how it would be no different if this were the gray and they were being attacked by a pack of wolves or ghosts in the darkness. It's not much different than that. It is people huddled, easy prey, easy pickings, low-hanging fruit. What happens when a pack of animals, a hungry pack of animals that is maybe smarter than you, descends upon that? 
and just where this pack of animals, the vampires, meet a pack of humans who are 152 strong to begin with that have been bred almost to be so resilient and know the snow and know the cold and know the dark almost as much as the cold and dark that these vampires are so akin with. So it is really the the butting of heads. And I really enjoy that aspect of animals versus animals. We're all really reduced to our animalistic tendencies when we're sequestered up in the cold of Alaska, Barrow, Alaska in particular. So we become so much more like these creatures to begin with, cold and hungry and willing to do whatever it takes to survive. Very, very, very solid uh, point. And you were actually kind of like getting reduced down to like your base instincts because you were cold while we were watching Oh my God, I had a blanket over me and everything was horrible. (laughs) And it's partially psychological, partially just I'm freezing. I'm cold. I'm a cold person. Um, This is filmed in that way that I enjoy a cold film. It doesn't look like fake cold. It looks like real, actual cold. You can feel the frigid. You can hear the frigid. Things are behaving the same way that they do in the real world cold. Mm -hmm. And you can only sort of imagine it. I imagine that 90% of the United States forgets entirely that Alaska exists, let alone understands quite clearly what it is like living in that climate. Mm. And, you know, it's not dissimilar to what we deal with here in the winters. In the deepest freeze of January and the colder Januarys that we used to get more than a decade ago, because things have warmed up considerably but it's still, st- I, I can really relate to what they go through in Alaska. We still have a few days a, a year that is like in the minus 40s. Yeah. Um, you know, watching this film and you're looking at the uh, the town, you really start to resent everything made of metal because you could only imagine how that would burn so much to the touch because it's so fucking cold. Yeah. Just how they have arranged their town and how they deal with, like, if the lights go out, I just cuddled those blankets around me even more because I'm like, I can't imagine being without light and cold for 30 being without light and warmth being without light for 30 days is bad enough i mean i could probably handle that mm-hmm. but as soon as that gets cold as soon as the power goes out mm-hmm. and there's no way to leave i just start walking i think you really hit the nail on the head especially with this 30 days of 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 night um aspect because you could theoretically remove the element of vampires i would like the movie a lot less yeah but you could theoretically remove the element of vampires and talk about people that slowly go mad from 30 days of darkness um because there's a lot of things that happen in this film about people losing their shit that if you were to think to yourself you know what the way that this character is reacting you could just remove the element of vampires from the scene altogether and he's just lost it like this guy killed his family because the 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 deep dark crazies got to him yeah the deep darkies because the deep darkies got to him (laughs) the deep darkies and the fact that it doesn't take vampires necessarily to make this a treacherous situation as soon as the power goes out the last flight is left people are panicking there's people that aren't getting along (laughs) and that people who want other people to have a talk and get along you can have a goddamn overlook hotel situation happening here any minute and it doesn't take the ghost of the overlook to have it happen Mm -hmm. it is all about man versus man in this point man versus his own deep darkies (laughs) via via the cold and the, the dark and the isolation Mm -hmm. terrifying stuff terrifying stuff through and through plus vampires Mm -hmm. we're introduced to our first real character in this film via their renfield 
Yeah. Um, and did you, when the first time when you saw this film, I saw this in theaters. Um, uh, did you rent this or did you? I rented it and watched it at home. Yeah. Yeah. Did you, did you get a, a did, how long did it take you to, to figure out that it was like, oh yeah, that's their Renfield. I know. I was waiting for him to like eat a fly or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> I will get the blood. No. Perhaps uh, I could have a cat. As soon as he refers to anyone as they, I was like, yeah, I, I understood who this person was. Mm-hmm. When he was in the diner, not so much, because I knew full well it was a vampire movie. I knew what I was in for. I flipped through the graphic novel. I understood what this was about. But when he's in the diner, he could be anybody. He could mm-hmm. be a mad trapper. You know, yeah. I wasn't thinking that he had anything to do with them or maybe he had encountered them. I didn't understand that he was half changed. His character is wrought so well that I didn't care about any of that. I yeah. wanted to see where he was going and yeah. have him tell me his own story. But once he's in the jail cell, I was, yeah, I knew that he was a Renfield. Yeah, there's a, there's definitely uh, an interesting aspect about this character, and then you immediately just start seeing signs of preparation. Yeah, because you see a pile of burnt cell phones, or uh, not even cell phones. They're um, well, they are oh, cell, phone. cell phones and walkies, like all sorts of communication devices, all melt into yeah. a pile. That's a very first thing we see and you you might not think like ooh alarming because even the cops aren't that alarmed about it and then all the huskies are slaughtered and that to me is even bigger than having the generators the phone lines the cell phones all that sabotage once you sabotage the huskies because that is a complete way of life for many people in Alaska, northern climates, and even somewhat to, to this, maybe not this degree, but North Bay and North, husky dogs are a, a mode of transportation, mm-hmm. and they are also part of their family. It is their their brood, and it could be their livelihood. So to have the huskies slaughtered in this is something completely... That is very, very, very alarming. And it's not a psychopath. It's probably not this Renfield, even though... It, probably was this Renfield, but it's not not his point. The point was not to alarm them or to sicken them or scare people. It was a mode of transportation. Mm -hmm. You know, the last plane's gone, need to kill the Huskies. That's the way you cut off this community. And that was terrifying. Yeah, I mean, they very violently uh, kill these dogs. And when I'm initially watching, uh, by the way, it's like, shout out to uh, uh, Ben Foster, who played the, the stranger, the Renfield of this, because he does such a great job doing this type of character and i keep saying renfield and with all due respects to uh to uh um dwight fry's portrayal of renfield 1931's dracula and stuff like that uh, considered by many to be the the peak of that character um that fiery madness and that manic stuff very similar to bram stoker's book but like when we see a character like this um but as the stranger it almost is how i would prefer a character like that to be portrayed um still quite a zealot towards they but a lot more muted but yet somehow contained like a very coiled spring so and and it's almost like you just don't know what he's going to do next like he might freak out and stab you and he probably would right mm-hmm. um they have him contained pretty quickly too thanks to josh hartnett's character and even or eben or however you say his name <laughs> i'm pretty sure it's eben eben yeah uh he doesn't know what's going on whatsoever, but he is 
scaring fucking customers in the diner and you can't have that especially heading yeah. into the last day of light you don't want any drunks you don't want any fights you don't want any strangers like that is the biggest threat that he proposes is that he is a stranger no one knows how he got there mm -hmm. that is the big threat that's what gets him locked up in jail yeah and this this um population of this little borough is now 152 and it goes down from like 600 and something. Yeah, that's how many people scatter. Because yeah. they just can't take this month of darkness or they use it as a vacation time. They go off to Chicago, Tennessee, Milwaukee, anywhere. Fucking Any anywhere. Anywhere, yeah. And it really, uh, it really lets you know that the 152 that are left in this borough are probably the toughest of the tough. The people that, eh, 30 days of night, yeah, that's fine. We're yeah, sticking around. someone needs to run the town. Yeah, exactly. Um... And, uh, and someone the, needs to run the muffin machine. Or what does he call it? Muffin mangler? The muffin monster? Yeah. The muffin monster? Which I don't really understand. I don't know. We called the trash compactor uh, Igor. 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 Okay. And so when it's time to throw away garbage, you're like, Igor's hungry. Okay. So like, I always kind of envision like this giant unknowable monster in this pit and we just like throw stuff down like it's like a rancor or something yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> so maybe like m the muffin man i don't know why it's the muffin monster, muffin monster or whatever what, that's the one thing that i wish we would have saw more of and when we do get to see the muffin monster in action on viscera it's it's gratifying yes but they show the muffin monster this garbage compactor big grindy thing the sort of thing that you throw people in in mortal Kombat, <laughs> very much so exactly but they show it so early that you nearly forget about it by the time yeah but, yeah but there's the hitchcockian reference i believe it's hitchcock where if you show the gun in the first act it needs to go off by the second act that's exactly what it is right kind of drop the ball on that one yeah but, but like you know but you know after you see this movie a couple of times when you see that grinder at the very beginning you're like oh yeah you show the grinder you're gonna use the grinder like some Someone's going in that fucking pit. Yeah, you know yeah, what yeah. I mean? I was like, I don't care who. Like, it seems like a good way to end the the the, the final boss, but uh, they have a better uh, way to handle it in this movie. They sure do, which <clears throat> makes me still wish they could have used that grinder a little earlier in, mm -hmm. knowing that we have so much more death and destruction to follow. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that's just my biggest, that's my second biggest pet peeve with this movie, because I do have some little pet pet little tiny pet peeves okay yeah okay. keep them on a leash okay and keep them muzzled that's because okay. i do love this movie yeah yeah listen we can love things but not love everything uh, uh, about it yeah yeah um story. yeah but yeah this um muffin machine is part of their infrastructure they got quite a bit of that they have a they have the sheriff's office the fire marshal comes up which is eppin's ex-wife stella works for the fire marshal yeah so they do have like uh, a, a typical bureaucratic infrastructure. And then they have the commerce infrastructure in the diner and the hotels and things like that. So they have like a store and yeah. stuff like that. Which aren't just run by shopkeeps. They're run by people who have lived in this community. They're one of the 152 by, by and large. Mm -hmm. And if they're not, then they board everything up and everything's shut right down. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, that 152 are the people that run these things that we cling on to as far as society whenever we're going to have a huge panic when people are worried about the power going out here because of a hurricane or the ice storm that knocks up the power grid we rush to these infrastructures mm -hmm. whether it be 
the government, the peacekeeping, or commerce. Because mm-hmm. we do run to, there is a little grocery store scene where everyone scatters to get um, booze and canned food and light bulbs and propane, propane. Gotta get that propane. Yeah, gotta get that propane. <laughs> And accessories. So. <laughs> but yeah, uh, we do rush and cling to these things. But we're in a city of a million people where yeah. we might not know those shopkeeps. So we can behave yeah. however the hell we want. Or we're just assuming that there's some sort of godlike creature that is always going to be there for us. Here, it's sort of catch as catch can because we know that so many people have left and we know their families and have known them for so long and know the ins and outs of their lives. And they might be dead by this point that we're relying on them and their infrastructure. It's crazy to me. And I love that about this because it all seems so very close to home. Closer to home in than the thing, really, because there isn't a community to depend upon. Mm-hmm. It's not this aspect of everybody knows everybody. You know, we did that when we were doing the Fire in the Sky movie. It was constantly everyone knows everybody in this town. It's, you know, it's a, a few hundred people and you live there for a couple of years. Yeah. You know, everybody, it was like, you know, walking through the, the streets of Carlton place and my grandparents like literally waving and stopping and talking to everybody because the community was so small there. Um, and, and in this, I mean, Jake, uh, uh, Eben's brother even says when Kristen, which this scene is pretty famous because it was in the trailers, uh, gets killed by the vampires who are sort of like packed around her and shit like that. You know, he's like, I- I've known her my whole life. And so you get this extra pang of uh, sympathy for these people because it's not like these are just random people that they're watching die. These are people that they know. Yeah, it starts out at the beginning when they're watching the final sundown for the next 30 days. And Eben says to Bill, uh, or no, sorry. And Bill says to Eben, and Bill says to Eben, um, I took Peggy here on our first date. Mm-hmm. And Eben says, we all did. And then covers with like, well, not Peggy. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, we didn't all take your wife on a date here. Oof. But that sort of small town stuff yeah. starts out the film and continues on with how everybody recognizes everybody. And it becomes another point where the stranger is the threat is the little girl, the only bad actor in this entire film. Uh not only has she just demolished somebody and she's a blood drinking vampire that they had to fucking decapitate that doesn't strike them as odd it's no one knows her yeah no one knows where she came from does anyone recognize her no one knows her and that was the weirdest part to them not everything they just saw her fucking do Mm -hmm. but the fact that they don't know who she was yeah (laughs) that's actually a really good point uh i didn't think about it at all um you know, one thing I'll give about this movie credit is they fucking kill that kid. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like... And, and they're very... They oh, kill dogs, they kill children. They kill dogs and children. And because you start thinking to yourself, when these vampires show up and, and they have prepped their their uh, stay, we'll, we'll call it. Yeah, they've cut off all communication. They've planted a seed. Mm-hmm. They've got... You know, everyone's sort of corralled. They know exactly how long they have in their favorite climate, which is sunlessness. Sunlessness. And they have this, um, they first, and they take down the uh, computer networks. That's one of the the first people to die is, uh, I think his name was Russ or something like that. This is big old dude with like monitors and shit like that. He's the first guy to go. Um, one thing, cell phone tower, cell phone tower, basically tear it apart. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so these people are even, even as isolated as they were before, because let's face it, 
even if they could communicate to the outside world, how long do you think it would take anyone to get there? And would they even believe you if you were to radio? What do you say? It's a, it's a minute away from being on the space station. Yeah, exactly. You may, it might actually be easier <laughs> to get someone to space. Yeah. Um, especially with all this terrible weather, because there's, they go through multiple storms while uh, they're in this month of darkness. Um, the vampires also have something that I find very interesting because we know that with vampires, you know, you bite someone and you drink their blood. Well, then you have another vampire. Uh, Marlowe is very specific about making sure that everyone that they eat sloppily, like just sloppily. Like you guys, Chris and Wes were talking about the wasting of blood and how in the Anne Rice version of vampires, you don't waste a drop. It's sacred shit. You don't yeah. make a mess like that. But then you have these messy little bastards it's yeah. like i i was likening it to imagine i'm gonna eat a hamburger and then i just mash my face into the hamburger repeatedly hoping to eat some of it like <laughs> <laughs> they do make that big of a mess but i i'm also thinking like is this like a kegger where there's so much to go around and they just, they know they're going to be hung over tomorrow. They're not going to want any of this tomorrow. So they just sort of spray it around. They're doing keg stands with it. Yeah. Fucking, <laughs> yeah, geysering people or making bets. And yeah, yeah that's your, your folly. If you don't answer the trivia question, you get sprayed with beer, do wet t-shirts with it. <laughs> but it is really ridiculously wasteful to me. But because there's a lot of references to the fact. Now, listen, this is like humans saying this. We don't spend a lot of time with the vampires, which I kind of uh, regret. Yes. I wish that we could get a better sense of how this uh, coven works. Like, I, I have like, you have a bit of an idea about what the hierarchy is. Well, I just suspect it's a wolf pack. Yeah. I mean, you have yeah. an alpha and, and shit like that, but like, and you're, and I, I don't disagree with you on that point at all, but, um, but with you have humans suspecting is like, well, they're getting more aggressive and desperate because they're running out of food. I'm like, are they though? Because vampires generally, yes, there's a lot of lore that, that suggests that vampires, you know, do need to feed frequently or else they'll wither and die. Not before they go fucking insane. Um, but there's also just as much lore where it says, well, they just go dormant. Yeah. Where they, you know, they like they feed and then they can just go into like basically a, a near comatose state until more food arrives. So, uh, and and I kind of like when you're listening to these characters talk, and if I was a character in this movie, I just be like, you guys don't know, you don't know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't know what these vampires are getting desperate and hungry. You don't know how often they need to feed. You don't know anything. Yeah. <laughs> You've only barely admitted that they're vampires, for fuck's sakes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And they could be like Tombs of the Blind Dead and they're just going to go sit on their ship and sail around. Yeah, exactly. And you're just like, they'll just slowly pick people up and drop them overboard. (laughs) I can't swim. Um, But they, they, or they could feed like snakes and be fully functional and fully fine and digest that blood for years. mm -hmm. Who knows? We don't know. Marlo um, definitely talks about how, though, that they're not interested in expanding the the coven at all. So humans that they feed on are to be decapitated. Uh, and that's... He's pretty clear about that. They still tend to fuck this up. Yeah, they really fucking do. And I don't know, again, because we don't know, like, the age of some of the, these vampires. Like, it's it's hard to say, um, really, again, what the, the, the structure is about everything. But, I mean, so many of the vampires are basically portrayed as just howling beasts that you would kind of wonder... Like if- the poor man's Vin Diesel? Yeah. It's about all he does. <laughs> Poor 
Yeah. He's like, I'm so scary. Yeah. But um, what he does, he just basically struts around, screeching t- and taste, sniffing, tasting the air, and yeah, there's 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 a bit of that. He's for a sure. bit of a showboat. He's a bit of a showboat. Yeah, the rest yeah. are pretty believable as far as their animalistic qualities versus mm-hmm. their leftover human traits. He is just uh, a showboat. Yeah, yeah. There's some scenes I would have cut out of just him where they all of a sudden cut to him and he's just making this crazy like I'm an animal face and yeah. like and, what are you who are you posturing to? And and what's unfortunate about him is that's the vampire that gets the most play. That was the most prominent vampire in the trailers. That vampire is on the back of the box. Like yeah. you see that vampire a lot. He's probably like a fucking dude bro vampire mixed protein in with his blood and shit like that. Probably. That exactly explains him to me. <laughs> That's why people like them so much. Yeah, they're just like, oh, protein with blood, right, guys? Right, guys? Yeah, yeah protein. Sick gains. Get some fucking sick gains in this vampire drinking. But Marlo does imply that this is a super good idea that they've had. We should have done this years ago. Yeah. Um, I suppose the, 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 the idea is it's an isolated town, an endless, uh, not an endless supply of food, but a pretty good um, f- food source. And of course, their biggest weakness, or at the very least, the one that they seem the most concerned about, is sunlight. Sunlight. And at the end of the day, they can wrap this all up in a nice neat little package with a fine old little natural disaster to wipe out the town, cover their tracks. No one's a wiser. Yeah. And then they just wait for the next town to go into 30 days of night. And then they do it again. Because, I mean, there are towns in and around Alaska. They don't have to, you know, pretend, or they don't have to go anywhere else. Because... It kind of seems like maybe this is just a party because, like, they can't do you can't do this forever. There's only so many people in Alaska. There's only some people in Alaska. There's only so many stretches of deep winter like that. And places do get some pretty deep winters or like one hour of daylight a day for a long stretch and things like that. So they could sort of pull this off over and over again, or at least enough to survive if it's about survivability. I feel like it's more like a fun party. Mm-hmm. There's a cool um, aspect of this film where I dig the fact that they kind of cut out a lot of stammering uh, what's going on nonsense because you could spend a whole movie with people trying to figure out what the fuck these things are. Uh, there is an initial attack, which I actually quite like uh, Marlo. And I guess I suppose like it would be like the, the lead female vampire. I don't know. Yeah, sundress and combat Sundress boots. and condra- uh, uh, combat boots. She looks cool. They all have names. Forgive us. <laughs> they do have names. We're not but- going to use them all. Um, I, we're having kind of, I, like in my mind, reluctantly using Marlo's name because it's not used in the it's, film. It's not. It's like something that you're, you know if you know the comics and I'm look just not. the credits. That, right? Yeah, or you look at the credits and like I don't know where every vampire is. So you get sundress and combat boots. You get Baldy, Vin Diesel. You get skinny guy with long black hair that's what you're gonna get yeah um so uh for the most part though this sequence of like putting a a a long fingernail on a record was cool and then they do almost like what is this um battle cry or or like soups on type thing and then there's this huge rush where they do this initial attack on soups on Soup's on. on. Ding, 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 ding. Yeah. Yeah. That's... Like when we were at my grandma's cottage, she used to ding the little triangle when we were all out yeah. playing, and it was lunchtime. No, and... quite a few people that have those, or an old school bell or a klaxon. Oh, klaxon. Yeah, there you go. That is their klaxon howl. I like that. And they, it's just this huge initial attack, you know, and then 
what logically would happen. And it's so funny. It's like when you have 30 days, it's like you could probably be a lot more thorough in their search. Because it seems like in a lot of scenes, the vampires are like, listen, we know that there's humans still around in here, but I don't want to check every house. Like, I, I just wanted them to kind of come out and for me to to make it easy. Because we find out that in the aftermath, there are survivors, people that we spend a lot of time with some characters that I genuinely felt were going to die like instantly. Yes. You know, and it's like, oh no, this person survives to the end of the fucking film. <laughs> like, that's crazy. You get this sense though, when they're all together in the diner, it's like, okay, these are our core cast of characters. And I'm sure a few more are going to get picked off. And if you're not, and if you don't know the movie that well, you'd be like, well, I'm pretty sure everyone, but Josh Hartnett and his, uh, and Stella are probably going to get killed. Uh, but uh, that's not the case either. Uh, There's quite a few holdouts. Just it. hold up around yeah. this community. Uh, they are all very tough people because mm-hmm. they live in fucking Barrow, Alaska, for one. And for two, they probably ha- are, have just gotten away. You know, they've realized what's going on to whatever extent they have. Something bad. That's all they really need to know if they figured anything out at all. And have holed up, stayed quiet while these fucking idiots, our lovable idiots, are deciding to try and save one another, distract the vampires and all that bullshit. And if they're watching this at all, they're like, I'm just going to stay here, cuddle up in blankets with a bunch of candles. No one knows I'm here. They don't know I'm here. Somehow, these super animalistic, feral creatures out there that can smell blood, which we find out, right near the end they can smell fucking blood can't seem to find these people i was sort of taken down a peg by my lovely husband who pointed out it's probably a lot to do with the cold Mm. not allowing these creatures to Mm -hmm. have all of their senses Mm -hmm. at their disposal as far as hunting and tracking people but at the same time if i were to counter that with anything it's the observation that the cold doesn't really seem to affect the vampires. They're Some, running around in fucking sundresses. Yeah. They don't have mittens on. Yeah. Iris is that vampire's name. Iris. By the way. Oh, yeah. she's lovely. Isn't she? She um, is a, a wild flower in bloom. She, she <laughs> but yeah, I think only Marlo's really wearing a jacket and it's really like kind of like one of those heavy wool long coats. But I mean, yeah, like there's tons of, it looks like some of the vampires are nightclub vampires, like, you know, tight dresses and like, uh, arms exposed. Yeah. But then there's other people that look like, like, like again like eastern european like type like old heavy wool clothing and stuff like that but no one's dressed for alaska in my opinion not at all not at all especially when our our, like our heroes they are and i if i were to nitpick i'd be like yeah they look like they're dressed for the weather if you don't know what the weather is like yeah their throats are exposed Mm -hmm. that's torturous cold yeah, they're not wearing hats no and if they are they're wearing cute little hats and then they lose the hats and then they pr- pretend to be cold but yeah. they're not wearing like expedition gloves they yeah. aren't wearing um the very heavy boots they aren't yeah. wearing the second and third and fourth yeah. layers that you really yeah. need to it's, it's, it's manage not, your layers it's not like john carpenter's the thing where everyone's wrapped up in heavy fuck Heavy clothes. And dressed properly for that weather. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like as little exposed skin as humanly possible, really, yeah. is what you want. Because I can't imagine how quick frostbite would uh, set in, especially on your nose and your ears and stuff like that. Especially like, if they, they head out into this whiteout and mm-hmm. don't have scarves. <laughs> yeah, that's where I think you were like the most miserable. Yeah. You're just like, oh my God. And that looks frigid, that scene. It does. But it really when. Does. And one, and, and I also find it very interesting. Like, like for every character, like a Bo Brower or, uh, Josh Hartnett's Eben and Stella, for, uh, Jake, 
uh, Eben's uh, younger brother, for every character that has like super strong survival instincts, you have characters that are just like, my dad, and screeching into the cold, and like all of a sudden, like we should all just run. And and again, like, I was like, run where? Where do you think you're going to run? They have some ideas of where they're going to run, but even when they're you know, maybe 20 feet away from these vampires sneaking around outside, I would think that they can smell them, hear them, they know they're there. Are they just toying with them and letting them run around, pretending to not see them so that they can think they have an upper hand and I'll sequester somewhere and make it even more fun when you burst through a window and eat them all? I I don't know. It just, it doesn't sit entirely 100% with me. But it makes for a very good cinematic, it makes for a very good cinematic ride, because we have many multiple instances of people running out and screaming, my dad, and <laughs> taking off after somebody and everyone else has to rally and either, you know, sequester and watch what's going to happen or head out there and try and help them. Mm-hmm. Or even our most stalwart people who go chasing off after bloody kids and hiding under trucks and you think she'd know better, but then someone's got to save her. Mm-hmm. And- yeah, and not only that, but like we've 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 demonstrated several times in this movie that the vampires set up basically like sniper traps. They do, they do. Where they're they're trying to get you to uh, to to show where you are because again, like I guess they're having a difficult time. I will say that even if they're not genuinely affected by the cold, like in in ways that I would understand, I will agree that obviously air does sink when it's that cold and their sense of smell could be inhibited and perhaps they weren't anticipating that because this definitely seems like the first time that they're doing it this was like marla's big idea that they're going to come to this area and not have to worry about sunlight and feed and um and still they can maintain their weird nomadic lifestyle because they are still just living on this ship together you know there's one thing that i find is enhanced in the cold like that though was that hearing very true. If they are anything like wolves, cats, dogs, animals, bats, whatever, mm-hmm. they should be able to hear these fucking people wrestling around or weeping or crying or arguing or mm-hmm. chopping heads off kids and whatever it is that they're doing. <laughs> there, If there is a problem in this world, Josh Hartnett will solve it by cutting your fucking head off. I love him in this film. <laughs> And I'm not even a Josh Hartnett girl boner type, yeah. right? Like, it's he's a really good-looking man. He's a pretty damn good actor. Yeah, he's a good actor. I can appreciate him being on this planet Earth. I'm mm-hmm. not, like, one of those psycho bitches out there or psycho gay dudes that dig the fuck out of him for really perverted reasons. Yeah. He's, he's really fucking good in this movie, and I wish yeah. he would be in way more films like this, not just teen screams. Yeah. But... No, yeah, I think yeah. that the the world could use more of him uh, in more horror for sure. He does good action. I like the kind of mumbly heroes too, because he is kind of quiet and stuff. He, he is kind of quiet, um, but he definitely uh, has no problem cutting someone's fucking head off that he's known his whole life. And it works very, very well. Hartnett aside, anyone with an axe cutting people's heads off is going to have a hard time with it. And I enjoy that they don't dance around that. Cutting people's heads off is hard fucking work. Yeah, it's not like it's not like we're watching Underworld and we're watching super slick action beats where someone's head just like a hot knife through butter just instantly. Or like Abraham Lincoln Vampire Slayer. Or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he just chops that tree right in half in one blow. Yeah, no, I say every decapitation takes a minimum of three good whacks. 
And some of them we get to see all of it go down, and it's extremely gory. It's extremely gory. This movie's got gore to spare. I mm-hmm. uh, I love it. Um, it teases you, and it does it in the right way, in, in, in a way. And it's almost like the gore is the monster that they're not quite showing. Because they show us lots of vampire. We get some really cool vampire silhouettes, too. And they're mm-hmm. still sort of teasing what they look like. But once we've met them face-to-face, we get a lot of awesome vampire action. It's the gore that they tease mm-hmm. through the film. And there's a lot of cutaways. And you start to think almost, on my first viewing, it's like, oh, is this why people dislike this movie so much? Because they tease away from the gore. From the middle onward, they absolutely do not. Yeah, they don't tease. There's parts in this movie where it's pretty fucking comic booky in terms of uh, the amount of blood, the amount of blood, and and you know that uh, ice saw thing, vehicle that uh, Bo's driving around in. Where I'm just like, good lord, <laughs> like this is almost like Army of Darkness, yeah. like him driving around in his souped up car. Yeah, because um, like that's where he is just taken down these vampires and there's a couple shotgun blasts to the head that are really fantastic mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah a lot of head trauma a lot of head lots trauma. and lots of head trauma because uh it's interesting we don't see stakes to the heart we don't see any reference to destruction of the heart really having much of an effect at all because we just don't get any but yeah. we do they do discover okay decapitation that seems to put these things down mm-hmm, because they've been shooting them and shooting them and shooting them and that's not working <clears throat> Yeah, um, and they do. Uh, the, the movie um, sort of alternates between everyone's various plans. Like a lot of it is just to wait this out and to find food and to not uh, become victims to these vampires. While the vampires are doing who knows what, just like lingering in the town. I don't know. Playing, Mostly just walk around playing Sega yeah. or whatever. But like, well, they cut the power. But um, so who really knows what they're up to? So a lot of it is just taking supply runs, like trying to go get food, come back, um, and seeing uh, how these characters are going to survive. It's really not until way past the midway point in which uh, characters actually start dropping, and they don't uh, kill characters off as often as I thought. And the first time watching this film, you just assume that characters show up, characters die. Or characters are with you and you're not a main character, you're just going to die. And they do have almost this... um, uh, they do dance around this idea of having an infallible uh, safe haven that they need a reason to fuck it up. It's like as ridiculous as like, you know, you have, okay, you're watching Pitch Black and, and you can't, you need light. And so they have all this light. You need someone to fuck it up. And then when you're watching a character fuck it up, you're like, what? <laughs> Which, why? Why, why is, are you doing this? Yeah. Like, like, does this guy have no fucking idea of what he's doing? And meanwhile, you have, you know, a character who's got, like, a, a very senile f- uh, father who seems to, like, you know, come in and out of, like, lucidity and shit like that, not really understanding his situation. And then you have them escaping into the night, and then you have the, the his son going out to find him and just, like, howling, like, where is this part? Like, calling for his dad. And you're like, what is happening? Mm-hmm. Like, like, but again... You know, they rationalize as like, well, you know, like people get crazy when their family's involved. I'm like, I guess, like, yeah, no, and you, you or Chris had pointed out that it'd be a really boring movie. Was just a ten Josh Hartnett stuck in a yeah, exactly. It's like people have to not be prepared for this situation. But then I thought he is even fallible because ten Josh Hartnett's trapped in an attic, only one inhaler. Oh shit! Yeah, he does have the Achilles heel of uh, needing a puffer. Yeah, yeah. 
does. So everyone, everyone has their weakness in this. And he, when he sort of ignored his shortness of breath and it damn well could have killed him. Mm-hmm. Who knows if we let that go on, but especially in the cold, it's hard enough to breathe when you got the pogo nip in your lungs. Mm-hmm. But when they go on a supply run, boy, does he look relieved once he gets one. Yeah. But if it was gen- 10 Josh Hartnett's, how many inhalers do you think? Are he there seems in pumped up with it too. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like spinach and Popeye. Absolutely. They got this cockamamie idea. <laughs> you know what? That's rude. You know what? It's not rude. Fuck it. It's a cockamamie idea where um, Eben's grandmother, by the way, who who we don't see get killed, but she definitely fucking gets violently killed. Yes. Um, because uh, Jake will tell us yes, that. Yes, Jake saw it. In yeah. Um, in When they're guarding the stranger. The stranger, by the way, um, through all their shenanigans, still is going to die by the vampire's hand. I guess they didn't need him anymore. They're like, and I was like, well, I, ultimately they could always make another one, and this one's shot, and they don't really, I don't know if they really know anything about medicine, so they're not yeah. going to worry about it too much. But when we find out that she has cancer and she uses cannabis to uh, alleviate a lot of the pain, so she has it for medical reasons, so she's got an ultraviolet uh, light to grow her own cannabis in her uh, home. And so the idea that like they're going to run to, to her house and have this UV light and then it's going to be like Pac-Man where you get the little thing and then the ghosts turn blue and now you can eat them. Like that seems to be like what Josh Hartnett's like, yeah, with that light, we could like fight back and get these vampires. But of course, when he uses a vampire, admittedly, he does get one. Yes, only partially because it just sort of hurts her. It, it just sort of hurts her. But she seems like... I, it's interesting because it's like she seems to be so down for the count, even though if she was a human, those would be survivable injuries. Survivable injuries, but the the blinding pain from when you've sustained even a core of your body is burned. Yeah, yeah. The and, the blinding pain is. And those seem like uh, fourth degree burns. Like yeah. they're really really bad. But anyway, and so instantaneously, when the light's still on, he's like, "They're gonna cut the power." And it's like, and of course, that's exactly what they do. And so, like, you got one, I guess. So, <laughs> good for you. That happens again later on because you have Bo who decides that it's his turn after this. Or later on, that he's going to destroy the vampires now with that wonderful truck that you pointed out. Yeah. Um, and he has a case of dynamite. And he says, you're not going to eat me alive. And he's going to blow it all up. And he sh- strikes a flare. And he blows up the fucking hotel. And it's a huge, almost Michael Bay-style explosion. And it's a wonderful scene. But it has blown his body out into the street. So he's fully viable, <laughs> edible. And he still doesn't get eaten alive. But he does die by the vampire's hands. And it's like, or oh, foot, it was a great plan. Say. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Um, a vampire's foot. But like th- this sequence with Bo is actually really incredible because um, there's a sequence that I love where one vampire falls on the saw and then gets bisected by it. I'm just like, ooh, yeah, that's a. Good, that's and a then good I'm one. thinking, does that vampire survive? I have no idea. It's like the one he runs the fuck over and crushes yeah. that one spine because we don't know anything we, about them. We don't know how like what is their regenerative capabilities? Like, can they really regenerate? At all, I would say, based off of the fact that Iris was killed by Mar- uh, Marlo, I would say no. Mm-hmm. That, or at least their regenerative abilities can't be that much better than us. I guess. Like, I don't. I, I don't know. Yeah. 
like maybe it goes into more detail in the comics and uh and so it becomes a lot more apparent but it seems like when they have injuries those injuries stay even though they're not life-threatening you can hit them in the in the center mass with a gunshot wound and it doesn't slow them down it doesn't kill them i mean you could blow their head off and that'll do it but yeah do if you they're still injured if you bisect one does it die do if you crush one's if you put like 13 tons of uh, a vehicle over top of them, do they die? Like, Does it just need to feed and it regenerates? Or is it just a weird scrambling, almost zombie-like yeah. creature where it's injured but still alive? I find it, it is Buckwild that like Bo blows himself up with looks like 15 sticks of dynamite. Yeah. And, he, and he's right there with it. And he just gets blown out. It's like, that's probably the worst luck ever. He, yeah. And also, a couple of those vampires do catch on fire. And so you're just like, okay. Do they burn? Like, is that the end of those vampires? Yeah, we don't know. All I can say for certain is at the end of the film, there's nine vampires, soon to be eight vampires. I did take the time to, like, count. Because yeah. I asked you, I was like, how big is this coven, do you think? And I can't say for 100% how big the coven was. Because it seems to fluctuate. Like, yeah. sometimes movies do that with zombie hordes and stuff mm-hmm. like that, where you're like, oh, there's 100 of them. No, there's 10 of them. No, I don't know anymore. Maybe there's 12 of them. I recognize these ones, but then it seemed like there were so many. Um, there's times when there seems to be so many vampires. Mm-hmm. But we do have an idea by their names and the credits and the recognizable faces of the few by mm-hmm. the end, there weren't that many more than that. So mm-hmm. maybe 20, maybe yeah. 20. I would say maybe 22, like mm-hmm. that, like, like not 22, but like maybe yeah, 20 as, as well. well. Um, and then by the end of it, there's eight of them. And I would wonder, like, I understand that, like what ends up happening to like their, what would count as their leadership and shit like that. But like also, by the time like one or two of the, the their own coven starts to actually die, because the thing that's interesting is is you know humans aren't totally defenseless, and I mean they're in the wilderness. All these everyone has guns, everyone is armed, yeah, uh, and that just makes logical sense if you're out in the wilderness like that, yeah. But um, you know, and they're American, and they're American. <laughs> um, so you know, but I would wonder, and again, like this is just me wanting to spend more time with the vampires, like. Does Marlo care? That Does Marlo care? Does Marlo care? Yes, and, and but like I understand that like he's he's villainous and he's and he's very like pre- He seems to care more that one was made without his knowledge or permission and by accident. Exactly. And and he talks about for years we tried to convince people that we were nightmares. So he's very much a vampire that like wants to feed, loves being a vampire, believes himself to be above human, but also isn't delusional to the fact that there's not that many of them. There's billions of humans on Earth, and yeah. if they knew that, and, and if they knew that vampires existed, they could be hunted to extinction. Like maybe he had seen it before. Maybe this is his truly ancient vampire, and he's rebuilding a coven that he'd lost. Again, we have no information mm-hmm. about this. So, I, so I, I would just wonder if he would care that. This seemed like a good idea at the time, but by the time you start losing... X amount, yeah. X amount. Like, we're down five vampires. Yeah. yeah. And the little kid one, and which must have been one. new. Must have been either someone who was turned in the village or someone who was part of the coven that we just didn't see before. Because she's like wearing a dress and, and has pigtails. She's like the cliche, I'm a little girl vampire. <laughs> and it's really... like I like the scene a lot, and I like what it does as far as... Um, 
you know, the, the pushing the envelope as mm-hmm. far as who's going to die and who is fair game in this. Mm-hmm. But she has the stupidest line ever. I would have really worked on that to make it a little more terrifying mm-hmm. instead of kind of like gauge from. Is it like the, I'm done playing with this. I want to play with you. Is it yeah. that one that you don't like? Yeah. yeah. Lame. It's super lame. It's lame. And also like if you're dealing with an actor that just can't make that work, give her no lines, give her no lines, give her a screech. That would have worked nicely. Yeah, give her, give her speech. There's a couple of uh, instances in this movie where it shows a little bit of lack of trust in the audience where I'm just like, I don't know if you need that line. Yeah. Like when the power goes out and then the power comes back on, Jake's like, oh, the emergency's power's on. I'm like, I know. Duh. Like, <laughs> like, and, and so I, I just I was like, well, that's a very... Uh, that's a that's a line added. It's like, what if the audience doesn't know why some lights came back on? I'm like, uh, do you really think that people don't know what happens in buildings like this when the power goes out and then a couple of smaller lights go on? Like, do you think no one understands what an emergency power system is? Yeah. yeah. Um, but and then there's at the end, um, which we're getting towards because like we start losing uh, characters, but not as many as you'd think. Because again, a lot of these like you have. Um, like, like Denise is still alive. Denise is a character, by the way, who I was like, when you first watch this movie, you think, well, this person is just instantly going to die with her two drunk boyfriends, I guess. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like, but I was like, no, <laughs> right to the end. And even to that point, at the very, very end, we see a few other people just clamor out of their houses and there's just random kids and there's like those two, they look like half in it kids or something and it's yeah. like, they made it. You know, yeah. other people were just doing what I would do mm-hmm. and be like, look at those fools out there running diversions and trying to save one another. I'm just going to stay in here with my Oreos and Snapple and huddle up, stay quiet, yeah. 29 days to go. Exactly. If this were us in that situation, be like, what do we do? It's like slam a couple monsters and mellow down easy. Yep. Got a <laughs> shelf of books. Yeah. Stay quiet, stay warm somehow. That's all you got to do. I think that like what a lot of the survivors that we didn't really spend a lot of time with had in common, they were all by themselves. Yes. I think yes. like smaller groups make the most sense. Like I would rather be in a room with two Josh Hartnets than like 10 Josh Hartnets. Cause I feel like 10 might, one of them will start to law of diminishing returns. Right. Like, yeah. Like, <laughs> um, but when they end up going to, and by the way, it, like, it's interesting that, they did maybe because there's so many like twists and turns. Oh, one of the things about the survivors that I want to mention is there's a character of Billy that like every single time I've watched this film, I legit forget is in this fucking movie until you start seeing the flashlight scene. Uh-huh. And then all of a sudden You just assume he's dead out there somewhere. Yeah, because we don't see him at all. He drops off Stella because, you know, they're they they feel like this human element of Eben and Stella having like this broken relationship. Uh is interesting and in a way in my even in my like sappy romantic heart yes i like aspects of it like it, it does create especially when towards the end i like that but um for the most part i was like yeah, i don't know if you really need to include this it still works if they were friends it still works like she didn't really this character stella didn't need to miss her plane she doesn't need to have an estranged uh, I always thought it would work better if they were siblings. That just siblings didn't would see, work too. Like that's, that's, you know? that's, I always thought that would work a lot better. Yeah, siblings. That's a good idea too. Like we'll do that. You mm-hmm. know, um, I would have like no. I don't think narratively it changes really anything. No. Um, but you know, they decide to do this. Like it is very Hollywood. Like you, you, you have this element in the story um, of of Stella 
and Eben having this uh, estranged relationship. They're divorced. They won't speak. Billy is the one that drives her around and shit like that. Who's also uh, Eben's partner, mm-hmm. uh, fellow sheriff and shit. <clears throat> who goes missing through the entire film. And then we find out that, oh, he like very much like a zombie movie. Like he kills his family. So they don't experience that death that he's looking for. And he looks like, like everyone looks kind of disheveled and, and kind of dirty because, you know, we're on like day 20, 20 something, 27 or something like that. By the time they discover Billy, Billy looks like he has been like holed up for like eight months. He's got a big beard and like long hair. I'm like, uh, what happened? Maybe your hair grows faster when you've killed your whole family and can't quite commit suicide. <laughs> it's very good. It's like the ultimate shampoo and conditioner combo. It really, truly is. It really opens up the pores. I'm not just a member. I'm the president. <laughs> or I'm not just the president. I'm the member. No. How does that go? It's like, uh, I can't remember. It's like, I'm not just, it's like, I'm not just a, a customer. I'm also the president. Yeah. Or something like that. No, it's not that either. Also, hair club for men. Hair, it's a hair club for men, old-fashioned hair club for men. It doesn't matter. I might be the president, but I'm also a member. Oh, that's what it is. Something like that. Um, yeah. The ultimate hair club for men. And this Sorry, guy, whole family. So many times when we were watching this movie, uh, you had sort of said out loud, just leave them. Just let them go. <laughs> like, you'd said that multiple times. About different characters. About different characters. <laughs> Billy is... You have Stella and Evan, like, basically having to carry his... Both his legs work. He's not injured. Yeah. But he's just so haunted by the dark deeds that he's done. And you see them, them like, trying to pull his fucking ass through the wilderness. And while he's just like, ah, pain, yeah. the torment. I would just be like, this this guy, what do you call it? A slippery baby? Like, like he just doesn't want to walk. I'd yeah. be like, you just know, leave him. Yeah, I was like, you want to know something? This motherfucker lived 27 days in his stupid house with his rotting family. Uh, Maybe he's got this on lockdown. I don't know. Yeah, no, like, leave him that. Or you've got him this far and he is a burden and he is unpredictable. So he's great vampire bait. Sure, he does have a role to play in the few more days to come that we have left with vampires in Barrow, Alaska. But you could just leave him in the middle of the street, just saying. You, know? you could. Yeah. Now, when they get back to the little uh, grocery store, Jake and Denise and... This is their third holdout, by the way, too, because they've yeah. gone from one place to another. Mm-hmm. And not only have they seen... Uh, like a couple of people have just been straight up eaten by vampires. Uh, Carter or whatever becomes a vampire and he tells, uh, I actually really like this scene quite a bit. Um, because it, it kind of, it vaguely, even though I would prefer it, I was like, no, I want an ancient vampire to like lament the loss of his like former life and why was he cursed with immortality? Cause like this guy is like, oh, I'm cursed with immortality. I was like, you've been a vampire for like literally five minutes. <laughs> So I don't know if you've reached the I'm haunted by my immortality yet. Well, he sort of explains why he would. Yeah, because the only way that he can get through life is knowing that he would die one day because his family had been killed by a drunk driver. Yeah, and uh, that was like a bit of a revelation because he had all these photos and he was lying to Eben and everyone. Like, oh, you know, like they're just. uh, They'll, they'll come up one of these days, but they're living in, you know, back in, I guess, some warmer areas of the United States and stuff like that. But so we have this um, very uh, 
uh, cool moment where he talks and I like it because, you know, his eyes are blackened and we're starting to see like the shark teeth because they're very shark-like, like multiple rows of, of fangs type uh, mouths that these uh, vampires, these particular vampires have. Uh, and he starts then we- practicing his little hunger howl. Yeah, and then you gotta like take him out, gotta cut his head off, and like again, like Josh Hartnett, he sees a problem. He's like, "I'm a man with an axe, and I see a problem. The head comes off." Yeah, that's how we solve problems. Around here. At least he was invited to do it this time, and it wasn't a child. <laughs> yeah, I know. Although Jake was the one that de- decapitated that little girl, but he's yeah. real shaken. But by the time they get back, everyone's gone, and you don't know. I was like, oh, did everyone get killed? There's not a massive splash of blood everywhere, so we don't know where everyone is. So it's just Billy and Stella and Eben. Well, they're going to make a trip to where they thought their last holdout should be, which is the oil refinery, right? Or the, what is it? It's a... I forget the term that they use, but it is like a the the generator, the, the yeah, power the, place. The, yeah, it's basically the big industrial place where the the, the garbage compactor. Yeah, the, yeah. The, where uh, the the muffin the muffin man or whatever the fuck is there. And the muffin monster. The muffin monster, which makes no sense. The gun in the first act. Yeah, it's the gun in the first act. So you just think, oh man, like maybe like some vampires are going to go in that hole, or maybe a person. And we get both because um. Once one they're, once they're there, we realize that, oh, all the characters are there, but not before Stella gets separated because there's a kid. Now, listen, <laughs> I'm not trying to sound cold, but in this scenario where we've already almost died via vicious little girl. And we've also had a decoy walking around outside alone. Yeah, in terms of Kristen. That scene, by the way, the decoy scene with Kristen is really like brutal and dark i feel because you have these rule yeah because these vampires easily could kill her at any time but not before they're basically playing with their food yeah they are. just like and it goes on for quite some time it's not yeah. super quick where as soon as you get that they they finish her off they play with their food yeah that's yeah the greatest they, way to put it yeah they really really so do. now we have a little kid it's going to be in the same position we are yeah. a day away a day away from sunlight yeah and this kid is walking like they've seen a fucking ghost probably because whoever was protecting them all this time was killed in fucking front of them. Yeah. So we know that, uh, I would just be full of like hundred percent, not interested. Yeah. That cover is a vampire. Your ears, cover your ears. I would yeah. be, co- I would headphones, something. something. I don't know. I was anything. like, I'm sorry. Like, yeah. like this is no time for heroes. That or what? Oh my God. Well, really might as well. Nothing better to do. Yeah. It's like one they, day to sunlight West. Yeah. It's like, they haven't had internet for a while. Yeah. So, but they get separated. Josh Hartnett and Billy. This is where the Buckwild shit, where it's almost like one of the one of like the shittier moments in the Resident Evil movies, where a character is like, "Let me come along," and then they come along with the main characters, and you're like, "Listen, you have two main characters in the Resident Evil franchise, and one person that just showed up for this movie who was coming with them to an area by themselves, and then that character like instantaneously fucking dies." I'm like, "Ugh." That's so, what they're for. That's, that's what they're that's, for. They're that's, what, that's what Billy was for. Yeah, Billy, I was like, congratulations. You actually probably doomed him to die by taking him out of his uh, his house. Yeah. Uh, so, and because and he gets separated, he gets killed by fucking Vin Diesel. Well, there's like two Vin diesel types, but I think this was like the main... The main Vin the, Diesel. The, the, main, the main Vin Diesel vampire. Maybe this is why everybody likes him, because he gets fed through the Muffin Monster. Yeah, but not before he fucking takes a chomp out of Billy, and then Billy, who, who gets him in there. And I, I like this... Everyone, I like this teamwork to take down vampires mm-hmm. thing because the vampires have speed on you. They've got strength on you. Uh, they're ferocious. 
Um, you, you know, you uh, are probably sleep deprived. You haven't really been eating proper food. Like, you know, you're assisting on Oreos and like crackers and stuff like that. That's not going to you're not prepared to really fight this thing. But like, I like that everyone's like, they worked on a little one first, kill a little vampire together and you got it. It's like, now here's like a fucking big vampire. And I like that everyone gets involved. It's not like, you know, you have a couple of characters, like perhaps you'd have like Eben and Stella try to fight the vampire where everyone just like, sort of like, Oh, like every, like, yeah, it's not like just a a drunk in a mosh pit either. Everyone's shoving them around. The one person that shoves them out. Um, it's everyone takes a good blow. this guy trying to get this guy. But like, ironically, Billy is the one that like gets his shit together, even though he's like gushing fucking blood from his throat, throws him in there. His hand goes into the fucking muffin monster too. So he's got like, I love this scene. This is really good because his cries of agony turn into that, I get like vampiric howl. Like, there's nothing really else. I've never heard, I've never seen another movie where vampires have made this sound before. The only other sound that I likened it to was the screeching of the ragers in 20 Days Later. Yeah, or even um, like a less. Uh, high-pitched version version of like the the aliens and screamers yeah Do you remember that screamers, yeah, yeah i was yeah. thinking of that one as well yeah yeah yeah. so it's it's kind of like that mm-hmm. um very interesting sound and of course listen josh hartnett is a man with an axe and he sees a problem in front of him what's he gonna do Wes? <laughs> he's gonna cut the fucking shit off of that guy's head it's so good and this is actually one of the best decapitations in the entire movie they linger on it they linger on it and you see that um it's not a clean cut like the head comes off but like there's still that thread tethers of uh skin and and muscle that keep the head kind of on there for a little bit and then oh axe wounds are the the absolute worst oh yeah and i'm not even talking about vaginas but axe wounds (laughs) actual axe wounds um i still have a band named axe wounds for like (laughs) but um yeah, they're forensically some of the more brutal uh, chainsaws and axes. Things that you use to cut down trees, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, seems like it's all right. The other vampires, for some reason, don't really have a handle on where they are. But let's just say... For After the- all that screaming and noise, I'd assume that it's the noise of the compactor that is masking their noises it's possible it's definitely possible and like all this stuff seems to like work and if you're not within the facility i could definitely see the noise not really traveling all that far outside of the facility inside that's metal uh shit echoes you'd be able to hear people walking let alone people screaming and stuff like that and it seems to be pretty big because they come up a hatch door underneath of it and then they go downstairs underground Mm -hmm. so maybe it is even more quiet because it's partially underground it's true but stella has this kid she's not dead uh and the vampires are have a problem themselves and they'll cure it with fire (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, the whole town is their problem. The fact that it's still standing and there's bloodstains everywhere. Yeah, because it's funny because Marlo gives the siren call to, like, kill them all. Like, there can't be any witnesses because we've spent our lives, like, making sure. Even though I was like, so I guess they were spreading out trying to make sure that they kill all the humans. But I was like, weren't you guys literally trying to do that for, like, a month? Like, what were you? Like, you were trying to kill everybody. So yeah. I don't, maybe they were taking their time because they don't want to do, like, a, a, a smorgasbord in the yeah. first week and then you have no food for the rest of the because who knows right 
But now they're just like... we're feisty little bastards that decided we wanted to survive. So we'd hole up and then think it's okay and crawl out. And then they'd pluck another one off. Yeah. It's like waiting for avocado to ripen. (laughs) That's good. Good, good. Uh, So... We're just going to burn the whole thing down. And the benefit of that is if there are any people holed up in these buildings, fire will flush them right out. Fire will flush them out. And the fact that it's a pipeline that runs through the city, our town, borough, mm-hmm. and they can just flood the whole town with oil and burn every fucking inch of it. It's not like lighting the hospital on fire and then lighting another house on fire. They can get the whole place burnt down fairly quickly. Um, All they have to do is stand back and wait for the rats to leave the sinking ship. Exactly. Now, Stella's in a position, and Josh Hartnett has always, has never demonstrated that he's not like a super protective person, and he is a law enforcement. He is there to serve and protect. So beyond the fact that Stella is his uh, ex-wife or estranged wife, I don't know if they officially got divorced, but um, and also the fact that there's a child there, and if Stella were to try to run with the kid, the vampires will eat them, and if she stays, they'll burn because they're stuck under this wrecked car, and the oil is pooling around it and shit like that. Josh Hartnett gets one of the most buck wild fucking ideas in a horror movie, where it becomes if you weren't sure that this was based off of a comic book, this is the most comic booky reasoning. Or, like, really, like, manga reasoning. That very, I, very, oh, very touching. Mm-hmm. Very touching. And the fact that he will sacrifice himself entirely. A man who seems to have all the world to live for. Sweet as asthma. Lots of people have asthma. And there's nothing wrong with him. And if she dies, you know, maybe then he can save himself the torture of having to talk to her again. And you know what? Denise is very cute. I'm going to talk to her a little bit. Sure. Sure. Yeah. sure. Um, so... He infects himself with Billy's blood and he turns himself into a vampire. Everyone, everyone like, who's watching this is like, what do we do? Like, what do we do? Because his reasoning is I will be strong enough to fight them and I'll have a while before I change. Like, I'll still be myself and mm-hmm. I will obviously let her go and it will create a distraction. It's just about creating distractions. Yeah. This is distraction number 75, yeah. day 29. Yeah. So, this is what I wanted to ask you about this plot point because you, as a as a as a renowned horror author, um, the I, fa- I can't wait. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's me. <laughs> you, you, as a horror author, whom I respect quite a lot, thank you, and uh, who have written the Night Face book, mm-hmm. there is a similar beat, not ex- like not similar in that. It's um, a person changing themselves to go fight a vampire. But it is a newer vampire, even if it is, like, a couple of... Like, Gunner's not brand spanking new. Like, Josh Hartnett is brand spanking new vampire. Yes. Gunner's been kicking around for a while. However, Gunner versus an uh, uh, an elder vampire. Um, and uh, the outcome of that battle... How do you feel? I mean, I know that you wrote one, but how do you feel about this aspect of new vampire versus ancient vampire? New vampire gets the drop on 
Yeah, Thank I, especially when it's not, I, I don't think it was planned. Because there's one thing to be said about a newer vampire that goes in and is like, I am going to Highlander the shit out of this guy. Mm-hmm. And there can be only one. And then I'll be the strong vampire because I'll mm-hmm. absorb his powers. Mm-hmm. They don't know how these vampires operate. That's true. His whole point of going out there was, I'm going to just create a distraction. I don't think he really understood how strong he would get because he seemed to be reacting along with his own motions like holy shit i can do this holy shit i could take that oh my god yeah and he was getting stronger as the hits kept coming too yeah. which was fascinating to watch for as short of a time as it took to mm. watch this but his coup de gras as it were mm. i don't think he expected that to happen it's like a mortal combat fatality <laughs> it is like a mortal combat fatality and like you said it's like um uh, if you were in doubt of that you're watching a comic book film this is where it all really comes down to the boiling point of being able to rickio this fucking guy's head (laughs) yeah Yeah. you don't punch through people's heads man yeah yeah Yeah. like right through the mouth right out the back of the head um and this is also very wolf packy because light almost as if they're alpha was just killed in front of them. Yeah. The rest of the vampires have, like, no interest. They just slink away into the night. Yeah, they just, it's like, slink away, boys, slink away. (laughs) (laughs) They do, they just evaporate, Mm -hmm. right? It's not like what you would expect with some vampire lore where they all fall to their knees and all hail the new king or whatever. Keep what you kill type thing. Yeah. He doesn't have lightning striking him and he's like absorbing the power. And, you know, in that case, then Josh Hartnett might turn on what his remaining Mm-hmm. human like companions he doesn't feed off of Marlowe and get like the white eyes of power like uh, Celine and like Underworld and stuff like that no like, much like a wolf pack it's simply done it's yeah. simply done and yeah, it's like I wonder if the vampires would look at it from the perspective of, from the perspective of like you know Marlowe had this idea and and he was like, this is gonna be great. Like you could almost imagine him like a like a dad like planning a, a, a like their first family vacation. Yeah. And then like it just fucking up so bad because the the coven you could say was decimated. Like there's less than half of them left. Yeah. They've lost their leader, and so they're just like, oh, okay, like let's now they can all just go and be solo. Yeah, probably I would wager that it would probably seem better for them because this idea of we're all going to hang together, we're going to feed on humans like this, and we're going to basically do like an all-out assault on humans that we weren't able to do. And yeah, they they like the numbers were in their favor because, you know, let's say 20 vampires taking down, let's conservatively say at least 120, if not 130 humans. Yeah. Um, that's a lot of victory for the vampires, but still, I mean... If you're dealing with like creatures that have existed for centuries, then every loss of a vampire is a pretty significant uh, loss of their population. Yes. Um, yes. And their knowledge and, and all that kind of shit. So um, I, I don't think if I was a member of that of that vampire coven, I'd be like, well, this was not worth it. Mm-hmm. Like the second you lost more than half of your coven, I'd be like, what the fuck? What the fuck? I really enjoy that that end game didn't go into those things where they suddenly... Uh, look to Josh Hartnett's character, Eben, as their new leader, and it's that he doesn't get anything out of this. The only thing he gets out of this was the same plan he had when he was a human. Distract the vampires, free the girl. Mm-hmm. The kid. Mm-hmm. Girl. And it really did seem like a lucky shot. Oh, or, like, totally. L- yeah. Like, it, it wasn't, he wasn't like, ah, oh, all the skill that I've acquired, 
And so, like, but he I, also really likes decapitating people. Yeah, because he fucked up that guy's head again. Yeah, where he was just like, I don't even need an axe anymore. Like that's his true power. He was like, I don't need an axe anymore to take someone's head off. That's great. Yeah. Um, so it, it it is really really fascinating just to watch this. I think my perspective on new versus um, older vampires because I know in your book, um, uh, like a, a lot of Gunner's advantage is the fact that he has this uh, power. Mm-hmm. Right, so that really like gives him an edge, and I know that the 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 older vampire is like not doesn't know that, like yeah. doesn't really have a comprehension of really what he did and how it was the worst possible battle plan for him because like Gunner was in this area full of like like untold knowledge, right? So he could like you know learn it all, learn it all, yeah. and Kamehameha and shit like that. Not that he does, like <laughs> it's better than that guy. Just <laughs> read Nightface, um, but um. When things that take them a long time to do and build and exactly in that old fashioned way, not mm-hmm. only do they not have modern conveniences or modern knowledge or modern ways mm-hmm. of doing things, they don't have that extra upper hand. Exactly. Yeah. And I've also seen enough vampire lore uh, in film and stuff like that, where sometimes they suggest that newer vampires have this, uh, um, they're more feral and like they're they're running more hot because they're so new. They have been reborn and are dangerous. Uh, and they're also not. They don't have that fear of getting caught, stopped, killed, hunted down, or whatever mm-hmm. it is that us humans would traditionally mm-hmm. do to something like a vampire. Yeah, and, and but like yeah, but at the end of the day, like it's not really even watching that fight. Uh, it's not even really that Josh Hartnett outclassed. Marlo, I, it's it's a fucking lucky shot. Yeah. Like he, like as Marlo comes in for the killing blow, Josh Hartnett just manages to punch him in the mush and doesn't know his own strength enough. Yeah. To know that he is going to punch clean through this guy's head. Yeah, I think that's exactly all that it is, and it's yeah. wonderful to me because it, it it does smack of just plain old luck and humanity. Mm-hmm. And his plan at the end of the fight is the same as it was going into it before he was even a vampire. Yeah, yeah, so you're you're definitely right about that. This film closes off with an interesting take on something that we've seen before, in my opinion. I don't know if you like it or not. So you have, like, Josh Hartnett watching the sunrise in the same places, like, you know, probably where he took Stella on their first date. Yeah. Um, and they're basically just sitting quietly with each other. There's... Uh, is there any dialogue exchange between them? I know he's got his her ring or their wedding ring around his neck and shit like that. No, I don't believe there is. And if there was any lines, it would be, this is going to suck. This is going to yeah. suck so bad. Because I think about th- films like Blade 2, or I think about, uh, well, just, yeah, I mostly just think about Blade 2. But, like, where you're watching a noble vampire die via sunlight, and and they sort of, like, gently, almost as if blowing away in an unfelt wind yeah we get it in an interview with vampires oh interview with the vampire yes thank you um so you get you get that sense of 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 like and here i die uh and and i die while watching the sunrise blah blah blah. um so josh hartnett definitely does die but he dies screaming yeah, because it's not doesn't tickle, doesn't tickle. I would have really preferred him finish off Marlowe and then look around at the remaining humans and bound off into the woods. Yeah, you know that would be fun too. Yeah, um, I'd be I'd be f- <laughs> fine with that. I think they end on a good note. I'm a little bit of a sap, so I love this the the romantic noble death of a hero. So um so I do like that. Um, and uh, Chris had pointed out rightfully, it's just like it's kind of a downer. Like it's not peaceful. He dies screaming, and it's just like 
It's oh, a... yeah. It's really the antithesis of the American Hollywood blockbuster where mm-hmm. nothing happy happens in the whole thing. And your hero wins the lucky shot to begin with and then ends up doing doing this, what he's done. Mm-hmm. Um, I like it a lot. And again, like it still doesn't even need them to be in a relationship. They could have just been friends and it would have the exact same sort of gravity at the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm just amazed that his humanity hung on long enough that he didn't do anything That's it, from a vampiric self-preservation point of view, like hiding, dig underground, do whatever it is that a vampire is going to do to avoid the sun mm-hmm. or run for the north. Like, I don't know mm-hmm. uh, what it would take at that point from to the blacked out ship or whatever if he had any awareness of that which i don't think he did but mm-hmm. um it's something to save himself so that humanity clung on in him long enough it took him that long to change that he put himself through that sort of pain which you know the the human reaction to pain is to pull back stop avoid you know heal Mm-hmm. whatever he is sitting there in the sun taking this 100 percent willingly as a human and as a vampire mm-hmm. which is kind of nuts also really wonderful because that just shows his will that's why he's a cop in fucking barrow yeah exactly it was like just made of sterner stuff even yeah. as a vampire he, he managed to hold on to that just it's a little bit of the right stuff it's just a, a little bit and i think that's the payoff as as much as people would look at this film with a it's such a downer ending i'm like i don't think so because of the fact that he held on to his core values even as a vampire like you were saying like his natural instinct should be to save himself and and how he could stay in control of the faculties and sometimes even by winning you're dying and and i think that um the win is that he could hold on to whatever was making him him long enough to die yeah yeah it's, it's a wonderful testament to the strength of character mm-hmm. um i mean i can't handle minus 10 physiologically <laughs> I, know. I can't handle minus 10 and they can handle these minus 40 minus 50 celsius um temperatures which are very close in fahrenheit so american listeners don't, don't even bother doing the math it's fucking minus freezing minus 40 no matter how you slice it is minus 40 um they can handle that he can handle all the other things that come along with the isolation up there. And he can handle what he just faced over these 30 days of night. He's something to look up to, even though he meets this end that you might have not written if you were writing for a traditional audience. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it has necessarily anything to do with why this thing did well or not, or not in theaters and and rental and stuff like that. I think it was just 100% bad timing as far as vampire fatigue. And people weren't as rabid for comic book shit. If that came out last week, yeah, it would have been in every theater, on the tips of everyone's tongue. Mm-hmm. Josh Hartman! Yeah. <laughs> you know, aside from that, um, the fact that it's violent vampires again, people love violent vampires. Mm-hmm, I mean, if I mm-hmm. see one sale in Night Face, it's because, oh shit, thank God it's not fucking Twilight. I like my vampires violent yes and my beer cold and your blood cold and my blood cold do you think that when the vampires were they were really hungry they would have just started eating bloody snow because there was a lot of blood there was tons yeah they probably could have unless they're like need it to be fresh and hot or whatever it loses its mana or whatever maybe a vampire even likes a little bloody snow cone 
I would too. That would be so yummy. <laughs> Another big thanks to Vamps Barn Bites, our sponsor for every fucking show. Yeah, Vamps Barn Bites, the only bar in Toronto vampire themed, who I bet you at one point sadly watched 30 Days of Night while crying, crying into his plastic cape. <laughs> Probably. Probably. <laughs> what do we got next for them? Coming up next, we have Frozen because I can't get enough of that chilly white stuff. <laughs> no vampire snow cones here, but there's a little fur in my snow, Wes. Mm-hmm. Fur in my snow. This this is this is traditional man versus nature without having to uh, also input vampires on it for like a little man versus nature versus vampires. Yeah, and I have a little tiny fun story. The last time I watched it, I love this film, so I will be curled up in a blanket again because I hate the fucking cold, and this is real horror again, real horror. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it will be our first, no, wait, this will be our first episode officially in 2019. Yes. Yes, it will be. So it'll be our second episode in 2019, but it'll probably be colder. Yeah, unfortunately. We're heading into that deep freeze that is January. Mm. The hell. Probably when something like Frozen would have taken place. Probably. I'm Wes Knight. I'm Typical Lydia. And you've been listening to Dead Air.